Okay, we'll take that. Vikings escaped. We'll take that. We'll talk about all of this. But first, let's just take a minute to catch our breath and appreciate that the Vikings beat the Steelers. We'll break it all down here on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Brown. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Brown NFL, and the show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. Thanks so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by On Location. On Location is the official hospitality partner of the NFL. It's the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Visit onlocationexp.com sb56 for more information or just search Super Bowl On Location. Happy Friday, everybody. Victory Friday because the Vikings beat the Steelers. Uh, it was a wild one. If you missed it, <laughs> I kind of feel bad. I think I told people to skip the game on Twitter and I would recap it for them. But it was a banger, uh, crazy game. Basically, the, the broad strokes of the game, Vikings scream out to a 29 to zero lead and then come within inches of blowing it. Sounds about standard fair. Let's go into a little bit more detail. Um, the Vikings come out of this one uh, with trading missed field goals. They go down on their opening drive, set up field goal range, Greg Joseph misses, and then the Steelers do the exact same thing. Chris Bodwell, Boswell misses. The kicks even looked similar. I think they were both wide left off of the right hash. Uh, so from there, the Vikings start actually uh, scoring, and they dominated after that on defense as well. The Steelers wouldn't get a first down until the like inside the two-minute warning. After the Steelers' first drive where they missed a field goal, they would not earn another first down for the entire rest of the half. There was one first down awarded to them, and that was on a 15-yard horse collar penalty on Xavier Woods. That was the only first down the Pittsburgh Steelers would get for the entire rest of the half. Like, it was a dominant performance. All sorts of penetration, huge plays from everybody along that defensive line. Uh, at some point, even, you know, Armin Watts, James Lynch, even Patrick Jones got his feet wet alongside, you know, a lot of plays from Michael Pearson, Dalvin Tomlinson and the kind of usual suspects. DJ Wanham had some great plays, um, an excellent defensive game. And then to go with that, the Vikings went touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown for the next four drives after that missed field goal. So that brought them to 23 to zero headed into halftime, a 23 to zero lead headed into halftime. If ever there were a moment where you could feel invincible as a Vikings fan, it was when you were up 23 to zero or two more field goals to start the half 29 to zero, a 29 zero lead. <laughs> you can probably tell by my tone where this is headed. Uh, then things started to kind of collapse. 10 play touchdown drive. And then the Vikings threw a one play interception drive, something that tends to happen a weird amount to the Vikings. Like I got to look up their interceptions and how many of them happened on the first play of the drive versus another play of the drive, because it's like kind of insane. Ball goes off of Justin Jefferson's hands. We'll talk about all that in a second. 
Um, but then the Steelers get another touchdown pretty quickly. It's now 14 to 29. You're sitting there going, oh no, touchdown. And then another touchdown and a two. And then this is actually a tie game. And then the Vikings go three and out and you're like, oh no. And then the Steelers get another touchdown, making it 20 to 29. They go for a two point conversion that did not convert. So it could have been 22, 29, an easy seven point. Um, but that didn't convert, which I think ended up being pretty important later, at least in terms of some of the win probabilities it could have been important. Um, and then the Vikings, hit KJ Osborne for a gigantic touchdown down the field. And that really served to uh, extend the lead such that a comeback effort started to get way, way, way more remote. Um, That KJ Osborne touchdown was awesome. And uh, we were very happy about it. And then the Vikings forced the Steelers to go three and out. And they had a clock management, uh, a play clock management debacle of their own. They would punt the ball away. And then the Vikings threw another interception. That was probably KJ Osborne's fault. And uh, that interception sets up a two-play touchdown drive. It is now 28 to 36. They got the two-point conversion. That would end in a two-minute and 16-second drive that the Steelers had with an eight-point deficit and no timeouts. Extremely similar situation to the one that happened with the Lions game last week. And the Vikings, once again, let them get all the way down, march all the way down to the field. But ultimately, they ran out of time and could not convert. Although they had plenty of end zone shots, none of them fell complete. So the Vikings win 28 to 36 after almost blowing a 29 to nothing lead, but they did not blow a 29 to nothing lead. They just almost did. And I think that's important to like take a minute and recognize if they had blown a 29 to nothing lead, we would be pretty insanely mad at them and rightfully so. And we can probably still be pretty mad at them for blowing that lead and for all the things that led to them blowing that lead. We'll talk about that all next week. Uh, But for now, we can still relish the fact that like they still won. And the fact that they were up 29 to nothing meant that was enough for the Vikings to win the game, even in spite of two interceptions, two three and outs, uh, multiple touchdown drives, a whole bunch of disasters. The, the Vikings had all kinds of second half disasters in the late third quarter and uh, early fourth quarter and or the entire fourth quarter. And it all wasn't enough. Like itemize if you watch the game, itemize everything that went wrong in that second half. Um, from the picks to um, the, the the penalties, the, the DPI penalties, the poor coverages, um, Bashad Breeland getting exposed and also ill. He left uh, a, a lot of the game with like throwing up on the sideline, apparently. And then he came back in at the end and got kind of uh, picked on right away. All of that sounds so bad. Add it all up and it wasn't enough. And I think that's important to understand that like they didn't give up the game. They did just enough. And that changes the context of a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about. But I do want to talk about a lot of that stuff. I want to talk a little bit about defense, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, who did not have his best outing. Um, Despite getting 15 targets, he had some troubles in this game. Um, And we'll talk about all of that. But first, I want to spell out a dream for you. The one where the Vikings make it in as the seventh seed, and then they win on the road against the two seed, and then they win on the road against the one seed, and then suddenly they're in the NFC Championship, and then they win another weird game, and they all go exactly the same, and they end on the last field goal because the Vikings will do that pretty much no matter who the opponent is. What if the Vikings were in the Super Bowl? You could go. Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away, and on location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL is the only place to score a once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star LA hotels, and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit 
on location, exp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. It's on location, exp.com slash SB56 or search Super Bowl on location. I also want to talk to you about the greatest tasting protein bar in the planet. They have all sorts of great stuff for the holiday season. As always, low fat, low calorie, low carb, low sugar, high protein, covered in 100% chocolate, absolutely delicious. You can always get their main series flavors like mint or raspberry or double chocolate, but they have uh, like marshmallow puff. It is phenomenal campfire fair uh they they have like it's built bar puffs they come in a bunch of different types of flavors but they're like marshmallowy but they're not just like a ton of whipped sugar like a marshmallow is it's the same stuff they always put in a built bar but it tastes like you're eating the inside of a s'more with whatever flavoring you want so check all of that stuff out at built.com they have all sorts of different uh promotions and specialty flavors and stuff coming all the time so check back a lot you can find all that stuff at built.com promo code locked 15 l-o-c-k-e-d-1-5 for 15 percent off of your order no matter what you get that's promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off of your order once again thank you so much for making locked on vikings your first listen of the day now i want to talk about offense a little bit um because there's a there's a lot to talk about. So the opening of the game, the first half of the game, the Vikings were just dominating. I have never seen the Vikings just boat race a team like they did in this first half. That might have been the best first half that they've played against anybody in the entire Mike Zimmer era. Maybe not. I know they kind of, they got out to like a 34-point lead on somebody once, on the Bengals once, or something like that. Um, so maybe not if you itemize some of them, but it was insane. Against a winning team, by the way, that's not a winning team anymore. They're a 500 team now that they lost to Kirk Cousins, but uh, which is really funny. Uh, but it was a domination, and part of that domination was Dalvin Cook, who got 205 yards on the ground in the whole game, and a lot of that came in the first half on a ton of explosive runs. He was averaging like 10 yards a carry in the first half, like just absolutely obscene numbers. And a lot of that was the blocking. The offensive line was like on one in this game, in the run game. And they had an up and down day in pass. There were a lot of affected throws by Kirk Cousins, put a pin in that. Um, but in the run game, I, in particular, I couldn't help but notice Mason Cole, who started at right guard. They did the same O-line configuration as they did last week with Oli Udo at left tackle, Christian Derrissaw still out. Um, and then Cleveland, Bradbury, Cole, O'Neal from left to right. And uh, the Mason Cole at right guard experiment is going swimmingly. I think once Christian Derrissaw comes back, I cannot see a world where Ole Udo gets his job back. Um, and I'm okay with that. I like him be, as a swing backup. I'm much more open to Ole Udo as I, than I am as as a starter. Um, and I mean, Mason Gold's just killing it. I, I want him to stay on the Vikings. He's like earning an extension, let alone a starting job. Um, so th- that's fantastic. Also, I mean, Dalvin Cook is still Dalvin Cook. You know, Dalvin Cook with space is crazy dangerous. He's always been super good at making something out of nothing. But God, when you give him something, whew. It is dangerous. Um, he did play in this game. He had that separated shoulder. It, it was, I think I called it on the crossover episode, a less than a coin flip chance that he would play. Um, turns out they told him, they told the Vikings around Tuesday that he was going to be good to go. And so he went out with a harness on his shoulder and he racked up a casual 205 yards. A lot of those yards were untouched. Um, I, I did seem like he, he did a really good job of like not taking on crazy amounts of contact, not in like a business decision way, but in like, uh, you can get more yards if there's not a guy on you kind of way, uh, including his, one of his touchdowns. He just waltzed in completely untouched. He, he got a lot of untouched yards. I actually think he averaged at, at one point was averaging 11 yards before contact. It was just explosive after explosive after explosive. It was fantastic passing game. Kirk Cousins, I'm going to say was okay. Uh, he didn't have his best. He was not as, as accurate as he's usually been. 
uh, that is has been sort of a mounting problem over the last few weeks, that his accuracy has been spotty. I will give him the benefit of the doubt in this game because there were a lot of affected throws that are probably coloring my perception. He, I mean, a lot of hit as he throw, a lot of tips and stuff like that. Um, one throw that turned out to be the interception uh, to Justin Jefferson, the first interception, the first play of the game, they go deep to Justin Jefferson, Devin Bush gets a finger on it, and then that messes it up. Justin Jefferson hits him in the hands, and I think it was a pretty good throw. Some people wanted to nitpick his accuracy. I guess that's fair. I thought it was okay, at least. Um, hit Justin Jefferson in the hands, it gets tipped up, and it lands right in the safety's lap, or right in Akilah Witherspoon's lap. I think he's a nickel corner. Or no, he's, he was the outside corner, but he was behind that, that play, and he gets the interception. Um, the other interception, for what it's worth, KJ Osborne stumbled on his route, and it was supposed to be like a quick timing route, so the ball's got to be out no matter what. Um, but KJ Osborne wasn't there. D-back was. It was a pick. It was almost returned for a pick six. So two interceptions on the game for Kirk Cousins, who entered the game with three on the entire year. Um, but I, I don't know. It's hard for me to call either of them his fault. Um, and I think the accuracy between him and Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, if he made some, like he had some circus catch opportunities, he could have made some absolutely insane catches in this game. And the fact that the catches had to be insane is an indictment of Kirk or an indictment of how Kirk's throw was affected by pressure or whatever. Um, and there were a lot of misses. I'm Oli Udo, not exactly the left tackle of the future. We kind of knew that. Um, and I think Ezra Cleveland got beat some too. I got to look more at like who actually got beat on some of those uh, pressures, but some of them were the ball coming out late too. So I guess you could blame Kirk for that. I don't know. Got to look at the tape to like really, truly accurately dole out blame. But for now, suffice it to say a lot of affected throws and some of those affected throws made it. I mean, Justin Jefferson got 15 targets in this. He only caught seven of them. And there was a pick, so seven incompletions. And there was just a lot of just outside his catch radius, just off his fingertips. Drops are an interesting thing. A lot of people call them drops. I don't know if I would call them drops. Um, Most drop charting is really forgiving to wide receivers. If you had to, like, catch it outside your body, or if you had to contort or do anything crazy for it, if you were getting hit as you threw, they won't call it, like, a drop. That most drop charting wants you like wants to focus on on situations where it was a clean catch and it was like a focus drop where you looked upfield too fast or where you just had it and you just lost it um and you just choked it and you dropped it not necessarily failed completions which is what i would call you know ah uh, you probably could have brought that in it would have been hard but you could have and you didn't that's a failed completion to me um i wouldn't call it a drop but either way not Justin Jefferson's best. I, I think on other days, Justin Jefferson does haul some of those crazy catches in and, and we're like singing his praises a ton. Now, he still got like 79 yards on the day on seven catches, like still a very good day. And he got a crap ton of volume. Um, but KJ Osborne actually on three catches outproduced him because of the big long touchdown. Um, either way, I think the offense was like pretty good. They had a little dry spell in the middle there where they stalled out for a couple field goals, had a couple three and outs in the fourth quarter. Um, but... On the whole, the offense absolutely did their job. 36 points set up with a couple of short fields, but that's it. Um, yeah, the offense did their job. I do want to talk a little bit about the defense as well, though. So we're going to do all that, and then uh, we'll chill all weekend. We'll pick all this stuff up on Monday. Uh, but first, so I recently received some items from Stance. Some wonder, I'm a big Star Wars fan, some Star Wars socks. Stance is a great gift for you holiday gift procrastinators who have not bought gifts for your loved ones. Who would ever do that? 
Uh, Stance was founded in 2009, and they wanted to, like, radically reinvent socks, underwear, and active apparel. They have a sharp focus on comfort, quality, but also creativity. Express yourself a little bit, look good doing it, but also feel good doing it. Stance brings an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in style and self-expression, because what you wear isn't just what you wear, it's a little bit who you are, right? Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in. Those that feel good, do good. So go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and get 15% off of your purchase. Use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout to apply. L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. So let's talk about the defense. And the, the original domination of the defense, I think, happened up front, but was very much aided by very, very, very good coverage. It was one of those games where everybody did their job really, really, really well. Now, the Vikings got Anthony Barr back, Eric Kendricks, Patrick Peterson rejoined. Now they have Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson. It's the most complete the defense will be because you're not getting Everson Griffin back, probably. You're not getting Daniil Hunter back for the season. This is what the defense is now. Um, and Bashad Breland did leave for some of the game, came back, but like... This is as complete as it will be. If you want to win a Super Bowl with this defense, it has to do well with these players. And it did, for the most part, until it sort of collapsed at the end. But we'll talk about that. Um, and I think it's just everybody did their job. There were coverage sacks. There were non-coverage sacks. Um, there was a fantastic interception by Bashad Breland early in the third quarter that set up a field goal. Uh, it was just a dominant performance. There's like not much to say about it. I, I want to explain more about it when I can like really dive into the tape, but the Vikings just lived in the backfield, tons of penetration, ruined every run play. Um, the, the Steelers just had to fight tooth and nail for every single yard. Everything was contested. And it was the exact opposite of what I was critiquing them for after the Lions game. They contested things. They played aggressively. They did not play fearfully. And then the collapse began. So they let up a 10-play touchdown drive. That took a lot of time, and that's sort of a clock thing. Once you're in the middle of the third quarter, you're up four scores. You're okay with them taking a 10-play drive that takes, you know, five minutes off the clock, and it ends up in a touchdown. It's a decent trade when the lead is that significant. The clock actually does kind of come in, and so trading time for, for points can be a good trade. It was probably a little bit shorter than I would have wanted it to be, but I'm not going to harp on them too much. It was more that then there was an interception that set up a short field and then another interception that set up a short field um, and that let the Steelers back into the game. Um, and then again, we found ourselves in a final drive situation, but that final drive situation, 216, no timeouts, not that different from last week's Lions game, 150, no timeouts, needed a touchdown. And the Steelers needed a touchdown and a two, but they were denied the touchdown, so it's pretty comparable. Um, and the Vikings played it much more aggressively this time. It does seem like they learned a lesson from that Lions debacle, and that's really, really nice to see. I think there's something to a short week uh, that helps with this kind of thing, where if you had all week to dwell on how, gosh, the Lions beat you, you might feel like compelled to come out and play even more fearfully. And that's my, my deal with the Vikings. Last year, the Vikings were soft. This year, they're scared. They are a, a scared team that plays scared. And like offensively, the play calling, when they just went at the, the Steelers, when they just called a run play, it was fantastic. When they just called like a, a drop back pass concept, maybe a play action, it was fantastic. When they did the scared calls, the calls you do when your offensive line's getting killed or you need to get a quarterback into a rhythm or something like that, the little screens, the little uh, sweepy smokes type stuff, the Steelers were all over that stuff. But when they just went straight up, the Vikings were the better team. 
And so I want to see the Vikings be more aggressive, go challenge the other team and say, if you're better than me, you'll beat me. But at least, you know, like, so be it. But I'm not going to let you beat me no matter who you are by just playing scared. And defensively, it's the same thing. The corners played up more, I thought, in this game. They played more aggressively and that worked. Um, and they backed off with the with, when the lead happened, but some of that is calculated. And I guess that leads me to the kind of overarching final point, which is this game wasn't as close as it felt, y'all. Uh, if you look at ESPN's win probability, the worst the win probability got in the second half was 82%. And that might feel like super wrong to you. And I definitely forgive you if you're like the worst chance the Vikings had at all of that was 82%. And it wasn't even on the final drive. It was like, I think when it was 20, uh, 29 to 20, right before the, the Steelers didn't get the two point conversion, it was an 82% win probability. And here's why, because the, the Steelers after making the comeback, um, in the final drive had more like a 5% win probability. Uh, and basically think of it this way. If the Steelers go down and get a touchdown, let's grant them that. Let's call that a 100% likely outcome. Let's say we came from the future. We knew the Steelers would score a touchdown. They didn't. We're from a different timeline. Uh, They would have to get a two-point conversion. That's about a 50-50 proposition. Closer to like 48, but whatever. Um, And then that would tie the game. They would also have to win in overtime, another 50-50 proposition. So for the Steelers to win that game, they needed two 50-50 propositions to go their way. That's a 25% chance after granting them the touchdown. So take that 25% chunk of probability, and in how many scenarios do they even score a touchdown to get access to that 25%, right? That's how you get five, where a uh, uh, there was probably a one in five chance, I guess, for them to drive 96 yards, which, by the way, they were pinned at 96 yards at that two minute and 16 second drive, 96 yards back because Jordan Berry, the clutchest punter of all time, <laughs> uh pinned them at the four in his revenge game fantastic stuff and then uh the the Steelers started started to drive down so call it a one in five chance that like the math gave them to drive all the way down and uh that ended in a five percent chance for them to actually win the game one in five chance to actually uh get the the touchdown and then have that for the two-point conversion and then have it again for overtime um and then I, I, another quick note so the Vikings missed two kicks in this game right away. They missed the initial field goal, which the Steelers matched with one of their own. And then the uh, Greg Joseph missed an extra point as well. Um, that's pretty rough. <laughs> that that did not go, especially, you know, in a game that did end up being a one score game. That four points sure would have come in handy and probably would have made uh, things feel a little bit different. But still, throughout all of that and all the mistakes the Vikings made, it still wasn't a competitive game, at least by like the win probability measure of it. But it felt competitive because we're broken and we always expect the worst. And Vikings fans are deeply tortured. And of course we expect that. But from like the more objective, non-biased viewpoints of things, the Vikings won this one a lot more comfortably than it looks. And I think we should probably appreciate that. They kicked the Steelers ass in a lot of ways. And it was nice to see them kick ass for a while. You want to see him complete it. There's a consistency issue. You got to see him play a full 60 minutes before you can trust him as far as you can throw him. But they did kick a lot of ass here. And the ass kicking outweighed the collapsing. 
And so the ass kicking is going to get more attention and probably rightfully so. Or I hope it gets more attention. I'm going to give the ass kicking more attention because that's what ended up deciding the game, not the collapse. Bottom line, the Vikings earned a win. They almost earned a loss. They probably earned a stern talking to, but they have a win in the win column. They're at six and seven. And now they go to Chicago to see if they can't try to make a streak out of this. In the locker room after the game, Mike Zimmer said, let's rattle off four in a row for the last four games. Personally, I agree. I would love it if they did that. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll talk a lot more about the Steelers game. I'm really into the, uh, the the X's and O's of this particular game because I think the Vikings did some stuff that were really, was really, really, really cool. And I'm really excited to bring that to you. So I'm going to get that to you on Monday. In the meantime, check out the, the Locked on Bets podcast with your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Thanks so much for making Locked on Vikings your first listen of the day. And as always, skull.